0: It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610-KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Good evening, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by Cadillac Foundation. And tonight we're here to talk about the latest relative to COVID-19. And as we move through the month of April and head toward warmer temperatures, Uh, We're continuing to see and pay attention to a couple of things, how the prevalence of COVID-19 in our community and region, and the prevalence of getting vaccinated as well. So uh, tonight, we're going to cover both areas, and later in our program, we're going to talk about urgent cares here in the Tri-Cities and when you should seek care in an urgent care center as opposed to going to the emergency department. And so a lot of ground to cover as we come to you as we head toward the end of the month of April. Uh, with us tonight to begin is Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, we touched on uh, a couple of com- a couple of topics, I guess we should say. Let's first, relative to case rates, where are we uh, here in the Tri Cities and in Benton and Franklin counties uh, tonight as we talk about the prevalence of COVID in our region?
1: sure I'd be glad to, Jim. Um, you know, we've been kind of looking very closely at the data, especially over the last couple of weeks. Of both Benton and Franklin County are in phase three. We know that that will be reevaluated on May 3rd. And so we're looking very closely at our data to see if it's going to hold steady that will maintain us in Phase three, or is there a concern that it could be going the wrong direction, and one or both counties ending up being pushed back a phase? And right now in Benton County, we're at about 155 cases per 100,000 over 14 days. And we need to be below that 200. So, you know, Benton County looks like it's in pretty good shape. Franklin County is certainly one area of concern, and it has been through this this whole COVID outbreak situation, and, and they're still teetering at that 188 or so per 100,000 over the last 14 days. So it could definitely, um, if data continues to go the wrong direction, could push them into a a precarious situation. And we also look at our our test site, the CBC West testing site that is continuing to operate seven days a week. And that we get a lot of good information out of there as far as people testing, how many are testing, and what's the positivity rate out of there. And that also has us just a little bit concerned because it is the Right now, it's running at just over 11% of the tests run at that site are testing positive, and that's a little bit of an increase over some other, you know, recent data where it was right at about nine, so it was heading down, kind of plateaued down, and unfortunately, the last couple of days, we're starting to see it uh, go back up. But again, like we've said all along is don't look at just one or two days. We really need to look at that trend to, to see what's happening. And it takes several, several days in a row, more than just a day here or there to really get whether we're trending up or, or down. But just the last couple of days, kind of as we expected after the holiday, the, the spring break, we expected that there would be a blip up in our positives, and and that certainly seems to be happening.
0: With the you, you touched on the testing that's happening out at it, over on Argent uh, near Columbia Basin College, talk a little bit about if you would. Are the numbers that we're seeing are they more younger population? Is that are you able to identify uh, where these where these current cases are? Uh, what age group is being impacted the most? You know
1: there's all across the board as far as ages that are going in and getting tested and testing positive, but we certainly are seeing that, that younger population as an area of concern, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, even in their 20s, um, that we're certainly getting a little bit concerned about just what, what is happening. We also tend to look around the community and see what's happening as far as behaviors and activities. And as people have felt the freedom to be out and about, the weather's good, people are min- mingling and, and spending time together, we've also, you know, anecdotally noticed that masking is becoming less and less. We're hearing that from the community who calls us and talks to us about it. We've also done a, another, um, you know, observational a study to see what is happening happening in our community regarding masks, and we'll probably have some interesting data out of that at some time in the near future. But, um, you know, as we moved into more activities, unfortunately, we've seen people not continue with consistent masking like they really need to. And again, it, it takes all of those mitigation efforts use all at the same time to make sure that we stop the spread of COVID. We're heading into the summer, um, it's a really a, a good time to talk to your family, talk to your friends, and really be consistent because we have a lot of activities we want to get to in this summer. We want to see fair, we want to see water follies. And if we as a community can come together and do the right thing, then we as a community will be stronger and our businesses will open and we'll be able to enjoy those activities because we'll have kept our case rates down.
0: I was going to say, you know, and we've heard it on the national perspective from the public health experts, we've heard it from from you and Dr. Person here in, in our community that, that we rely on for this, this great advice. At what point, you know, and, and I think the message I keep hearing is we got to just hang on just a little bit longer. How much longer is longer? <laughs> Do we know?
1: Oh, I wish I had a I wish I had a good answer for that because you know and that is and what we've been saying just a little longer, a little longer, and 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 I hate to say it, but it is going to be a little bit longer. And then we look into what's going to happen this fall and winter. There's conversation about is there going to be a resurgence this fall and winter again? So for us in public health, we don't look at just what is happening right now in front of us at this moment, but we also have to look ahead. What what are the indicators saying as far as potential problems three, four, five, six months down down the road and, and start planning for those as
2: well?
0: So as we're, we're talking this evening, obviously the goal, I, the schools are getting back into full in-person learning, I think, just this week, depending upon which school district you're talking about and at what grade level. Um, But as we go into the summer, I know the ultimate goal, as you say, looking ahead is to make sure that by August when school returns to session that um, it is as back to normal for school as it can be.
1: That's right. And it it really is in the, the power and control of each individual community member to make those right decisions Because ultimately, it's the good of the community that we really need to focus on and making sure that I, as as an individual person, am doing everything I can to make sure our businesses get the opportunity to open, our kids get to go back to school, but it really takes each individual person making a commitment to do what's right for the community as a whole.
0: Quick question before we go to our first break because we have you for another segment of our program before we touch on vaccines. I wanted to have you touch, if you would, briefly on the status of these variants that we keep hearing about.
1: Sure, um, we definitely are continuing to see those variants show up in, in our community as well as our surrounding counties. Right now in Washington state, We're looking at about eight or nine different variants, and in um, Benton County, we have seen certainly um, a number of them. We've seen four variants of concern in Benton and Franklin County, excuse me, four variants of concern show up and three different variants of interest, and that's in a number of people. So our, our number of variants cropping up in our community is certainly increasing, and that is something that we're definitely keeping an eye on and watching very, very closely.
0: have to take our first break of the evening, but uh, when we come back, we're going to switch from variants to another V-word, vaccines, and what we can all be doing and where we can go get those if we have not had the opportunity to do so. We'll do that right after this. Welcome back to the program. We're visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, let's get into, if we could, a little bit about uh, where things stand with the vaccines in our community. I know more and more um, people are eligible uh, to get the vaccine, and I, contrary to what it was like three months ago, uh, the vaccine is very readily available. So is it the case now where the, the move needs to be, if people that haven't gotten it need to really consider, if they're on the fence, that they should get it? It's
1: a- a really good time to get vaccinated if you haven't already. Remember, we've opened it up to anybody 16 and older all across the state. There is plenty of vaccine available. A number of locations are doing them. And again, like I said earlier, vaccines don't, um, they're not the only tool we have in our toolkit, but it is one of the absolute most important tools, not only to stop the regular COVID spread, but even some of these variants. We know how important it is. To get vaccinated to help slow down even that variant strains from swirling around in our community. Um, It's also important to remember that not all vaccines are for 16 and older. So if you are um, 16 or older, you can get the Pfizer. If you're 18 or older, you can get the Moderna. So there is a little bit of age difference with the two different vaccines. So when you're signing up for a location to get vaccinated, make sure you're signing up for the right one for your age group.
0: And so the Johnson and Johnson that had been put on pause is still not available.
1: Right, it is still on pause, but you know, we're hearing that it's, it's probably not too much longer where a decision will be made exactly how it will come back on the market. And, and who it will be for at that point in time. So we're all waiting for that one to return as well.
0: And with these younger populations, I know where we have we stand at this point, I was just looking at some statewide data today, and they, they broke it down by can- counties, and at least the numbers I was looking at, it's Franklin County, just 16% of their eligible population is vaccinated. In Benton County, 22%. Walla Walla County is 29%. Any... any uh, reason why that might be, that there might be this disparity, and it's probably the same in other counties around the state?
1: Sure. We see that all across the U.S. as we look at where pockets of less vaccinated people there are, and it's also important to look at the demographics and and many of the reasons this could could be causing that. When we look at the age breakdown, certainly Benton County has an older population. We have more people in Benton County who are in long-term care and senior housing facilities. So a, a larger number of the population who fit their early demographic actually live in Benton County. And then as we added on the different age groups, that certainly opened up vaccination to more people, perhaps in Franklin County, so we're we're certainly hoping to see Franklin County catch up now that it is open to anybody 16 and older.
0: But wasn't Franklin County kind of not to pick on them, but it seemed they've always kind of been lagging with these numbers uh, throughout since the vaccine has become available. It seems.
1: Yeah, and and we do see that community to community, and there seems to be a little bit of a lag in in Franklin County as as far as um, getting vaccinated or. Or when we start looking at our data for case rate, uh, Franklin County always has had a higher case rate per hundred thousand when you compare it to Banton County.
0: So where are we? I, you know, the as is the I know nationally, there's there's public information campaigns being launched using sports celebrities, acting celebrities, and people of all different cultures and backgrounds who people might be influenced by to get the vaccine who may be hesitant to do so. Um, And and I know the the same is happening here in the Tri-Cities. If you're on the fence listening to this program tonight, what would your advice be on how they can get the answers to help them make a decision, hopefully, to get the vaccine?
1: We know that people do listen to their medical provider. So if you have a medical provider, ask their thoughts, their opinions about getting vaccinated. Go to some well-respected websites, not not Dr. Facebook, but go to the well-respected ones, Um, CDC, National Institute for Health, uh, World Health Organization, Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, University of Washington, Department of Health, there are lots of really good websites that have science-based information that can help you make your decision. But I think it's also important, um, you know, to talk to trusted friends and acquaintances who are knowledgeable about vaccines, how they work, what they do, what they don't do, and and talk to those trusted people in your life. Again, make sure that they come from a knowledge-based background and they might be able to offer some suggestions as far as feeling a little more comfortable. Perhaps, why did you get vaccinated? And if you hear from a friend why they got vaccinated, it can help you make decisions, too.
0: So as, as we sit here tonight, you know, when people call into your office about the vaccine and, and maybe share, what are you hearing from people when they call about why they don't want to get vaccinated?
1: Um, You know, a lot of people don't call here to tell us they don't want to get vaccinated, honestly. Most people are calling us wondering where to get vaccinated, how to get their homebound loved ones vaccinated, um, those types of questions, or are you going to be offering it to agriculture workers or when are you going to come to the schools and, and, and vaccinate? So we're still hearing a lot of interest out there from people wanting to get vaccinated, wanting to make sure that we are uh, doing everything we can to access those especially hard to reach populations, such as the homeless, people who don't live in a permanent location. Um, Our Ag workers move around quite a bit. And, And I'm happy to say that we are getting a lot of things put in place right now to actually vaccinate those populations. We have um, three teams that are coming together who will be going out to be different, more difficult to reach venues, such as the agricultural venues, and start doing what we call pop-up clinics out there. There will be a scheduled time. They will go out where the farmer has asked them or the employer has asked them to be, and then they will meet with the employees at that location and get them vaccinated and then return at the appropriate time later to get that second vaccine in.
0: I hearken back to the question I asked earlier a little bit facetiously about just wait a little bit longer. But relative to the vaccine, this wait a, bit, a little bit longer before we can get even more opening and more normal in our lifestyle is, again, is it, you know, we we kept hearing, well, get to this herd immunity. So the importance to me... Would just be okay if you want to resume more normal life. The more people that are vaccinated are going to be more protected and bringing down the incidence of COVID.
1: Right, and we know that uh, if you are fully vaccinated and it's been at least two weeks since you got your last vaccine, if it was a series, then gathering with a a group of of other vaccinated friends is certainly a much safer thing to do so that's another really good reason to get vaccinated is so that you can meet with your vaccinated friends and family face to face without that mask on when you are it's just you and your small group
0: so we are making progress
1: we are and we have to keep looking at that progress otherwise it's it's kind of easy to lose hope and and get frustrated and concerned, but we have to look at those baby steps that we are making and some of those giant steps that we're making. When I look at the huge numbers of people out at the fairgrounds that are getting vaccinated every day, I mean, there are days that are pushing up to almost 2,000 people. That is huge and that's wonderful and that tells us, no, there are a lot of people here in the Tri Cities who are taking this seriously they know that them getting vaccinated is is going to make our community stronger.
0: And so I guess until more of us get vaccinated, uh, you know, we've learned to endure masks and maybe take a lesson from our school-aged kids who are used to wearing masks in school.
1: Yeah, our school-aged kids are doing a very good job of wearing masks. And if our kids can do it, I think us adults can do it too.
0: And maybe just a final 15, 20-second uh, comment, if you would, Heather, of where we stand tonight. I mean, the vaccine is here, and uh, we're, we're, we are making progress, but, again, <laughs> patience is a virtue.
1: Patience, patience, and, and honestly, just keep doing those things, uh, just consistently do them a little bit longer. I'm, I'm worried about that May 3rd date, so just stick it out a little longer.
0: And by May 3rd, she had mentioned that the numbers uh, will be reevaluated at the state level on uh, either rolling back phase openings or going to the next phase. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Thanks so much for your time. And again, if you need any location information on where you can get vaccinated, go to bfhd.wa.gov. They have all the information and all the links to locations that are offering the COVID-19 vaccine. Back with more of Cadillac On Call right after this. Welcome back to the program. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, we've tried to bring you as many different perspectives on the pandemic itself and the variants and the vaccinations and the cases and whatnot, and also on the various ways that people um, access health care and have taken care of patients uh, during this pandemic. And one of the areas that's been, I know, critical and key uh, throughout the past year Uh, In the Catholic health system is is in their urgent care settings, because if you remember a year or so ago early on when the pandemic first broke and cases started to appear, it was very difficult to get tests. And so when people were suspected to have covid-19, oftentimes they were uh, until they got a test result. They had to be presumed that they were COVID. So I know urgent cares within the Catholic system were utilized uh, a great deal in helping uh, trying to take care and diagnose these people. And so tonight we have uh, with us Paul Shoemaker, who's a nurse practitioner with Catholic Urgent Care. And and Paul, it's been all COVID all the time, it seems like, on this program the last year. So I, I, I guess we begin there. What has it been like from your perspective and your teams within the urgent care settings uh, dealing with the the pandemic over the past 12 months?
2: Well, Jim, first off, I want to let you know that it's a pleasure to uh, visit with you this evening. i almost like a Cadillac on-call groupie, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> i listen. <laughs> I listen to every single episode, and usually it's by the podcast while I'm riding my bike or doing yard work, but I'm constantly impressed with the high caliber of guests like Dr. Brian York, our local health district staff like Heather, and uh, even state health officials, and others like some of the frontline nurses that I know personally, like Ivan and Brad, uh, and even our CEO, Reza Khalil, Um, the info that you and your guests have shared. Um, have helped us, I think, through the pandemic and, and continues to help us. So thank you for uh, for your, the work that you do on the show there.
0: Well, I really appreciate that. And we're going to get into a little more about your personal story, because you and I share a lot in common from our backgrounds uh, in the broadcast world. But I want you to touch, if you would, Paul, a little bit from an urgent care setting about what... what a, the strategy behind taking care of COVID patients, because kind of, as I touched on, I just remember when testing was so difficult to get results were slow and supply was limited. uh, There was a lot of burden at at the urgent cares, weren't there?
2: Oh, very much. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a hidden area of our healthcare arena because, uh, you know, we're just a year into this pandemic and we're still learning about COVID and changes, are still happening on a you know a weekly, if not a daily basis, and throughout this period, people have been very frightened and concerned and worried about even going to see a health care provider because they're worried about getting exposed or or um, getting sick from being around other people. But at the urgent care, we have been open every single day, seven days a week. 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. throughout this. And there have been so many uh, uh, clinics and providers that have not had that access available for their patients. So we've been there. And, of course, we've been testing for COVID, and we've had many positives. We've been treating to try to help people get through COVID. Some of the people that are uh, more ill than others sometimes need to go to the hospital. We've had to make referrals. Um, and then we do so much education with the patients just to try to help them understand what's going on. So it has been a challenge. Uh, it has been hard and difficult and uh, quite a strain along the way. Um, but, of course, other diseases, illnesses, injuries don't stop because of COVID. So we've been there for those uh problems and issues as
0: well well and it was interesting as as the the pandemic unfolded a lot of the care that was provided went virtual via telehealth which is a wonderful technology but because of that did that increase the in-person care that was that popped up at the urgent cares because people you know maybe they didn't want to utilize a telehealth visit or they couldn't get into their provider
2: Yes, it it certainly did. And we had a slowdown as well. As People were just afraid, uh, is just the best way to put it. But there are certain things that need to be seen in person. And uh, telehealth has worked out wonderfully for many of our providers to allow them to still remain in contact with their patients. But in a lot of cases... They can't see the patients because of their symptoms that are suspicious for maybe COVID, maybe not, but but they can't risk uh, exposing the other people in the clinic. So we have the the blessing and the opportunity to see those patients and to to team up with the the primary care uh, providers uh, just to help people when they do need to see somebody in person. And it's our pleasure to be able to do that. And we are grateful that uh, the patients trust us to provide that care for them.
0: And if you aren't aware, Catholic has two urgent care locations. They're probably essentially located in the Tri-Cities that you can find. They're both on Clearwater. Uh, one of them is uh, in central Kennewick near the Winco over on Clearwater. And the second Catholic urgent care is located out uh, also on Clearwater, where Steptoe and Clearwater come together and where Kennewick and Richland um, connect. And so, and both of those, as Paul mentioned, are open 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., seven days a week. And and, and maybe if you would, before we have to take a break, Paul, uh, the question I want to get back to, in COVID or otherwise, when should people come to urgent care as opposed to going to an emergency department?
2: Well, it's, you know, we've got a list of things that we would rather have people go to the emergency department, but there are certain things that are requiring more emergent attention. And some of the key things are like chest pain, uh, that is serious. Uh, we, and we can't necessarily classify what's serious and what's not. So that's often a emergency department or a 911 call, any kind of stroke type symptoms, of course, uh, facial droop, uh, difficulty walking, difficulty talking. There's um, different mnemonics that you can use to help watch for stroke signs and symptoms. Those are some of the key things. But one thing that I was talking to one of my colleagues earlier today, and she made a great analogy. If you have an illness, an injury, or a disease that you feel is getting serious enough that you may think you might end up, hospitalized for a day or two or longer, then that's likely something that you should go to the emergency department for.
0: But then conversely for urgent care, uh, as opposed to not going into the doctor, I mean, mean, even maybe like a, you know, a youth baseball player maybe injures an ankle and you're worried that it might be fractured. So, because you have the ability to do lab and x-ray on site, correct?
2: Yeah, and that's a great point. I don't like to, uh, diminish the things that we have available because it's a vast array of of illnesses, injuries, and diseases that we can treat. And, of course, you know, the list is pretty long, but if someone is concerned about a broken bone, we do have X-ray services available. If someone's concerned about some type of a lab irregularity, we do have some limited lab work that we can do right there on the uh, urgent care visit. And uh, some of the other labs do take a little longer, but certain ones we can do right away and get answers for people fairly quickly. And um, you know, there's other typical things like if someone has a laceration or a cut, we can do sutures or stitches in the clinic. Um, Urinary tract infections, upper respiratory infections, um, ear problems. Uh, sexually transmitted infections. Uh, there's a pretty good list of things that we we do see in urgent care, and and uh, certain ones that we would tell people. Well, we feel like it's more important that you're seen at the emergency department. But that list is 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 not real frequent. But uh, sometimes it comes to that. But we cover a lot of things in the urgent care.
0: We're visiting with Paul Shoemaker, a nurse practitioner with Catholic Urgent Care, and he's been educating us on the importance of when to go to the emergency room as opposed to seeking care in an urgent care or if it can wait to uh, when you can get into your family practice physician. When we come back though, we're going to visit more with Paul, a little bit more on his personal story on what led him to become a nurse practitioner, and we'll do that right after this A sign that we are moving back to a more normal lifestyle, the Tri-Cities Cancer Center Foundation will be holding its 21st Annual Cancer Crushing Breakfast. It's happening Thursday, May uh, May the 6th, that's Thursday, May 6th at 7.30 in the morning. And it's a unique event at all of the Fairchild Cinemas, Kennewick, Richland, and Pasco. And each screen will hold a minimum of 20 masked and distanced guests. And they will be serving a free breakfast, but also help you learn the opportunity on the great work that's being done uh, for oncology services here in the Tri-Cities and the work that's done through the Tri-Cities Cancer Center Foundation. If you're interested in participating, you can join in person. Uh, the number to call is 737 at 737-3373. And if you're not quite ready to go out and be socially distant, you can also join virtually as well. So give that number a call if you're interested in uh, doing that at the Fairchild Cinemas coming up on May 6th all to benefit a good cause at the Tri-Cities Cancer Center Foundation. We have a couple of minutes left with Paul Shoemaker, a nurse practitioner with Catholic Urgent Care. And I had touched on earlier in the program that Paul and I share a little bit of a unique background, similar background, that we both came from the broadcast news profession to our current lines of work. Mine's a little bit uh, similar to what I've done all throughout my life. But Paul used to be a TV broadcaster, and he became a nurse. Paul, if you would... What led to that change, and uh, what's it been like uh, working going from such a uh, one occupation to the other?
2: Well, I'll be brief because this is less important, but uh, (laughs) yeah, both you and I had some history working at Keeper TV locally here, and then I actually went and sold motorcycles at Yamaha Country, and then about uh, 2005 or so, I had a friend who had a traumatic brain injury. I had another friend who was a veterinarian who became a doctor and then a niece who became a nurse. And I had always loved the medical field, but never was sure if I could handle the math and science. Uh, But decided with those different events that if I was going to do it, now was the time. Uh, Signed up for CBC, went through their nursing program and became an RN in 2009. And then uh, worked with the Catholic organization at the hospital for several years and then decided to move on to becoming a nurse practitioner. So that's where we are today, and I love working with my patients at urgent care.
0: That's terrific, and and if you would, I mean, to become a nurse, so so you had to basically start over and to get into nursing school, and then once you did that, to become a nurse practitioner takes even more training.
2: Yes, and my wife, was glad when I finished my nurse (laughs) practitioner. She said, you're done now. (laughs) It's been, you know, it's been probably 10 years at least of education uh, just to get where we are today. But uh, I can honestly tell you, Jim, that I do not know it all, and I've got a lot of learning left to do.
0: Is that how you approach it with your patients, Paul, just because, again, um, that dialogue that you know, obviously, you know, you're you're you have to understand them as best you can to help heal them.
2: Well, sometimes I don't know the answer to the questions or the problems that my patients are having, and I readily uh, admit that. And we work together, the patient and myself, and we try to uncover what's going on and, and help them uh, have better health. And sometimes that involves lifestyle changes, which can be difficult. Other times, it can involve tests, medications, and other treatments. But we work together. Uh, The patients and the providers at urgent care work together to come up with a plan that's going to be, number one, helpful to them, and number two, one which they're comfortable with.
0: Now, you'd mentioned before you went to the urgent care setting as a nurse practitioner, you worked in the hospital setting. Were you in a variety of different nursing units during that part of your career?
2: Yes, I had the pleasure of starting on the med surge unit in uh, my my beginning back in 2009, and, and that was a great foundation, which is what I wanted. I wanted a broad experience. And then I branched out into what's called the resource team, which covers lots of different units in the hospital. And I spent a lot of time in the intensive care unit on the cardiac floor and other units, which was a great opportunity to learn a lot of different areas of the medical field.
0: So in that case, you could show up for work and wherever the need was greatest. So one day you could be in the ICU, the next day you could be on med surge or in the ER?
2: <laughs> well, it was always uh, a surprise <laughs> when I got there in the morning, and and it was fine. I loved working wherever wherever the need was was the most. But uh, it was it was kind of fun going in each day and and asking, okay, where do you where do you need me today?
0: Well, we have just a minute or so. but I wanted to have you talk about a little bit about uh, you know the, the fact that you've been doing this this journey you've been on in the healthcare world maybe start maybe a general comment about what it's been like for you this past year during this pandemic, and then maybe branch out to a larger comment about, you know, you seem very satisfied with the career choice that you're currently in.
2: Well, I appreciate that, and I I would be remiss if I didn't spend a few seconds to pay a tribute to all of the urgent care staff every single one of them, from the uh, medical assistants to the nurses to the lab and x-ray staff, our front office staff, our managers, our medical directors. Because during the pandemic, many providers and clinics have been limited as far as their access. But the urgent care has been open every day, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., throughout this very difficult time. And it has been hard, and it has been taxing on uh, each one of us in the urgent care. And we'll, but we will continue uh, and still be there available to, to help our patients. And I just have to pay that tribute to them.
0: Well, I, I just want to thank you for making that career choice because I think it's people like you and and, and it's made my work so so gratifying this past year in, in trying to convey information and help people understand, what it's been like on the front lines of this pandemic, whether it's in an urgent care, whether it's in an emergency department, whether it's people trying to source PPE so the gowns and the masks are available for the staff, it takes a team, doesn't it, Paul?
2: Oh, it does. And I, I, I want to make sure that, that your listeners are aware that right now are we have the two urgent cares at WinCo on Clearwater and then out at Steptoe, but the, the WinCo clinic is seeing all patients now. Not just respiratory patients, which we were kind of limiting during uh, the, co- the height of COVID, but all patients were seeing them there. And um, you know, we are open for appointments and walk-ins. They can go to cadlec.org and sign up for appointments. But we are cert- also are taking walk-ins at both clinics. So um, we just want to make sure that that people know that we're there when they need us. We know that illness, disease, and injuries don't stop because of COVID. And, and, uh, and it's always, we count it as a blessing to be able to help people out.
0: Paul Shoemaker, an Urgent Care Nurse Practitioner with Cadillac. Paul, thanks for so much of your time. Continue great success and thank all the team out at all of the Urgent Cares. And thank you for listening tonight. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Cadillac On Call.